Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Lionel and Paula, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Lionel, the initial King Kong opened to rave reviews. And yes. in your article that you wrote in Jewish Affairs, you quote the director, the producer, Leon Glackman, as saying, I would like to say that the Jewish spirit has to some undefined extent entered into the production of King Kong. You are not the only Jew that was backstage. Can you tell me a little bit about your role and the history of the King Kong musical? Well, to start at the beginning, there was a chap I was at school with. He was a few years ahead of me called Ian Bernhardt. He ran an organization called the Union of South African Artists who were um, all black musicians and uh, black artists. They used to operate from Edel Street Extension, a place called Dorke House. Um, And somehow I got involved with Ian Bernard, and we used to put on shows, or he used to put on shows called Township Jazz, which mostly showed near the City Hall in Selborne Hall. this was at the height of the apartheid era, or 11 years into the apartheid era, and for some reason these shows were multiracial because it was at uh, the City Hall or City Hall complex. All I did there was sell cold drinks <laughs> at interval, but the music was absolutely fantastic. I mean, was one got hooked on the music. I mean, there were groups like the Manhattan Brothers, Miriam McKeba was a young girl who used to sing with the Manhattan Brothers. And there was so much talent there that I believe Leon Gluckman, who was a leading director, stage director, and an actor, him and Ian Bernard got together and said, there's so much talent, let's do a big show about it. And people like Irene Menel and her husband, Clive Menel, I think, um, they they mooted the idea of the story of Ezekiel Dlamini, who was known as King Kong. He was such a he was actually a champion black boxer, but of course he couldn't fight whites and vice versa, which made him into a very frustrated and almost a, as I said, he was on a short fuse all the time. And a Harry Bloom, who was a lawyer, and Pat. Williams, who wasn't Jewish, uh, conceived of the story of uh, King Kong the Boxer. And eventually it evolved into a uh, opera. They called it the first African jazz opera. Leon Gluckman was the director. Um, and for some reason, the entire backstage crew was Jewish. And there were six of us. All we had to do was slip around the the scenery in between, um, in between different acts, and being backstage, we, we could we could hear the music. I mean, the music would be very familiar to us, but we didn't see the show. We couldn't see the show, uh, but we had we had a good time. I mean, we got to know the musicians so well, the singers. Uh, there was a group called the Woody Woodpeckers. We became particularly friendly with them. The Manhattan Brothers, of course, were outstanding. They were all in the 
in the audience. Todd Machikiza was a brilliant musician. I wonder here, um, DJ, if we should play just Todd Machikiza, of course, wrote the, the music for yes. it. And one of his songs is Sad Days, Bad Days. Yes. And we found it. And DJ, I wonder if we can just play it here. And that'll take us, I think, to our break. And then when we come back, we'll look at some of the, the you mentioned Maria Makeba, Hugh Masekela, the kind of people that grew out of that and, and what happened to them. Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. And that was Todd Machikisa's Bad Days, Sad Days. I think it is Sad Days, Bad Days. And that was from the musical King Kong. And I'm talking to Lionel Sleer, who was backstage at the original performance and putting together that original performance. Now, you also quote Leon Glackman in your article in Jewish Affairs of having said that they only had three months to put it together, which was a good thing because he had so much pressure then to get it done and he didn't have time to panic about the fact that what he was doing was actually impossible. What were the conditions under which that show was put together? Well, the difficulty is that this was at the heart of the apartheid era, but for some reason we had mixed audiences, which wasn't allowed anywhere, but at the University Great Hall they could have it. Um, We had to get special permission that the black artists could be out after the curfew time, and there were also a group of penny whistlers, little kids of 10 or 12 years old, and we had to arrange a special bus to take them home after the performances every night. Um, you also spoke about parties that took place, but that were always tense. Yes. Um, one of the big things about, that I enjoy most, and the, this lasted for six six weeks, the show, that we had a lot of parties, and for some reason, High Street in Orchards was known <laughs> as as the communist street. I mean, a lot of left-wingers... <laughs> Uh, lived there, but particularly I want to mention Manny Brown because okay. um, most of the parties were held at his place and what was illegal is that we had blacks and whites dancing with each other and drink and drinking what they called European liquor Right. and we were always nervous that the special branch were going to barge in and arrest us but it never happened and the speculation was that the government thought that King Kong was was part of their policy for blacks to develop their own uh, their own culture. Right. So they didn't want any sensational happenings, put it that way. But I just want to mention one person who was involved with King Kong was Arthur Goldreich. Yes. Who um, who actually was uh, we always used to go to these parties, but Arthur Goldreich never turned up. We never saw him. And, you know, the whole backstage crew was slightly left-wingish, liberal, <laughs> anti-apartheid. But Arthur Goldreich was... We thought, what's wrong with Arthur Goldreich? He doesn't join us. Little did we know <clears throat> that he went home every night to the headquarters <laughs> of the ANC in Johannesburg, which was in Ravonia. Ravonia, he, to his, his farm. Home. Um, how shocked were we when we heard <laughs> that he was arrested years later? Um, now, to, I want to tell you a story. Miriam McCabe was a young girl there, very yes. beautiful, wonderful voice. And one night, three of us 
asked her to come to dinner before the show. So we went to a couple of restaurants around Fitz University there, and none of them would allow us in. They said, sorry, we can't serve, um, can't serve black people in this restaurant. So eventually we went to Fordsburg, and we found an Indian restaurant, and the Indian said, yes, you can come in, but I'll put you in another room. <laughs> but at, at least we had the dinner with Miriam McKeba. She was quite shy, actually. Um, you must have met, as you said, that, that there was huge talent, and the show actually went on to London to perform. Yes. It, 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 for the first time ever, London scouts came to South Africa to to take the show back. Um, it, it, it also launched the career of Hugh Masekele. Hugh Masekele was a young kid then, and... Um, there was Skippy Moketza. I think he plays the clarinet on that music we just heard. They afterwards had a nightclub or Kippies. In, uh, called Kippies. In I Newtown, think. yes, in Newtown. I remember it. it was I never knew them. where that name came from, actually, until now. He, he was a brilliant, brilliant, all these musicians were brilliant. Saw Kloster was a pianist. Todd Machikina was a pianist. I mean, there was an, there were 63 people on the stage and 14 musicians. <laughs> I just want to tell you, when they went to London in 1961, I happened to be in London, and of course I went to see them. I went to visit them. And um, there's just a, a story I want to tell. Uh, I went up to see one, some of these guys from the Woody Woodpeckers, whom I knew well, and they were, uh, they took me up to show me their bedroom they were sleeping, and there were four of them sh sharing a... Uh, a room, wow. but there were only three beds. So I said, where does the fourth one sleep? So Sol Cluster took me into the bathroom, <laughs> took a plank of wood off the side and put that on the bath. He said, I sleep on the bath every night. And then I said to one of the guards, what's your impression of London? And he said to me, I can't believe how polite the police are. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been a, a huge culture shock, you it know, from police there to who you constantly in fear of, to, to police who help you. So, But in the London production, they took away the penny whistlers uh -huh. because they were too young, but they brought in the mind, mind gumboot Gumbo dancers, dancing. which were, were very popular. Um, but it, it wasn't a, an adventure I could never forget. I mean, we had these parties which were were a real jolly, but it was embarrassing because all the white guys <laughs> were such bad dancers <laughs> co compared to the cost. We <laughs> were all expert dancers. It was, it was really embarrassing. Lionel, the performance opened to rave reviews here in South Africa. Yes. And I, um, I think um, the stars, Oliver Walker. Who was very well known. He, he was the top drama critic in South Africa in the time. And he described the show as having been his greatest thrill in 20 years of South Africa theatre going. Yes. And I know there were other reviews from the Mail and Guardian um, all hailing it. So I have to ask you now how you enjoyed your experience of this production being played when you saw it this week, earlier this week. Well, I kept on First of all, there were very few screen changes. <laughs> so so you felt you should have been behind there actually moving the set. So I couldn't, I couldn't associate with any of the backstage people <laughs> carting the scenery around because they, they worked it that the uh, 
people on the stage brought out the chairs and the tables <laughs> and everything while the show was on, which was quite clever. And I kept trying to compare it yes. to what happened, what, 58 years ago. But this is a brilliant show in its own right. I right. mean, the music is the music. It's yeah. the same music. They're using, I mean, the story of um, Ezekiel Dlamini. Same story. Same but, story. But they've softened him up a bit. You know, the original Dlamini was a very hard character. He was bitter. Mm. And, I mean, when he killed his girlfriend in a, because she was going out with a, some other guy, uh, he killed her in a shabin, and he shouted, call the police, call the police. And then when he appeared in court, in the court, he said, listen, let's not waste time. I want to be hanged. Give me the death sentence. And, of course, the judge wouldn't. The judge gave him 12 years, and he went to Lukup prison, which is north of Joburg, and he was there a very short time and he drowned himself. And that was the end of uh, of Ezekiel Dlamini. And I think that's why Leon Bloom and Glickman, is it Glickman? Uh, Leon Glickman. Glickman. Leon Glickman chose that story because he resonated as a hero at the time, it was Sophia Town, I, I think. Yes, Am I correct? Sophia Town and Soweto. Soweto. And it kind of, the story of Ezekiel Lamini, I think, it encapsulated the experiences that people had at the time. And Lamini, as a boxer, was seen as a hero, somebody who bucked the system and eventually took his own life. And I think that is what actually attracted them to the story. Yes. And, and, and it encapsulated that era. And you're saying that era is now over and maybe the play has been, well, the story has been a little bit sanitized. Is that what yes, you're saying? it has been. Uh, in the, the show I saw the other night, which was like a preview, um, King Kong is a much softer <laughs> much softer personality. You know, he's not bitter. <laughs> he's actually quite a pleasant, pleasant guy. <laughs> Whereas Nathan Tamini, who was the original King Kong, Showed the sort of stubborn streak, you know, a bitterness which he carried over quite well, but not that I could see it. You know, I could only hear it. <laughs> so, did you enjoy the? I mean, you're saying it has deviated and it's more palatable, maybe to today's audience, maybe. Because when we went there, I went backstage to meet the cast, and uh, the producer. Tommy, it's changed a lot. Mm. They have sanitized it a lot. Did you enjoy it? Very much. So it's still a good performance? Very, very good. Well, the music itself is, is, the is same. so wonderful. And the singing and the... The singing and the dancing. Would you recommend people go and see it? No, I recommend they go and see it twice. Ah! <gasps> okay, so I think the I think it's at the Mandela Theatre. Yes. And it's open, uh, it's open this week. Yes. Uh, and it's on until, I think, like... The 8th of October. So people, oh. if they're going to see it twice, at least book your ticket now. But Lionel, thank you so much for sharing Pleasure. your um, memories of it and also giving insight into, into what was happening at the time. In South Africa, you know, it reflected what was going on in South Africa. And it's amazing to see how far we've come and yes. how, how little, how strange it seems to us now. Yes. We're going to take a short break. And after the break, Lionel's staying with us. But he will be joined by Paula Slear, who will share some of her journalistic experiences with us.